This is Notoriously Episcopalian. My name is Kelly Hudlow. This is a podcast of sermons and musings all about the Christian faith and especially about being an Episcopalian. This is a sermon for Trinity Commons online worship for the 11th Sunday after Pentecost, August 16th, 2020. This is the Sunday following the annual Jonathan Daniels pilgrimage, and the principal text for the sermon are Genesis 45, 1-15, when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, and Matthew 15, verses 10-28, through 28, which includes the story of the Canaanite woman coming to Jesus, asking for healing for her daughter. one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Dismayed silence is what greeted Joseph as he gave his voice in weeping and shouted, I am Joseph, is my father alive? His cries were so loud that the household of Pharaoh heard him. His brothers stood there silent, waiting for what was going to come next. I would have to guess that in their shock, there was the fearful thought, what will Joseph do now that he has the power? I'm sure the brothers didn't expect for Joseph's next words to be, come closer to me. I'm sure they didn't expect Joseph's insistence that they forgive themselves for what they had done. And I doubt they expected Joseph's declaration of God's working in his life. God has been largely absent in Joseph's story. Joseph is a patriarch without a theophany. He doesn't meet God face to face. He doesn't wrestle mysterious beings at the river crossing. But in this moment of weeping and reunion, Joseph points to God's action and power in his life. Joseph experiences God in his brother's betrayal. God's power is felt in the pit. God's presence is felt when he is a slave in a foreign land, held in a foreign prison, and even when he is in Pharaoh's court. It would be after his father's death, when the brothers again fear Joseph's revenge, that he clearly states, while you meant evil toward me, God meant it for good. So as to bring about at this very time, keeping many people alive, and so fear not. Throughout the stories of the patriarchs and matriarchs of Genesis, God's plan has always been one of relationship and life. The promise to God's people in each generation has been abundance and life. Each generation has failed to live up to the promise, but God remains faithful. And so now that God's people face famine and death, God redeems the acts of jealousy by providing a way for the household of Jacob to be sustained in Egypt. The brothers expected revenge. Joseph, transformed by his experience of God, offered mercy and reconciliation and an invitation to come closer. The Canaanite woman shouted in desperation, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. She did not wait 
for an invitation to come closer. She just barged in while she persisted through the dismissive silence of Jesus. We current day Christians are left dismayed and disappointed by Jesus's lack of response. And his eventual retort is one that should make us cringe. It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. In the verses just before this encounter, Jesus states clearly that what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles. We are not defiled by our biology, but by our intentions. And then, boom, here comes a Gentile woman with a demon-possessed daughter, a person that presents as the stereotype of defiled and other, and serving to prove the point of Jesus' teaching what comes from her mouth and heart of the words of desperate and persistent faith. A lot of words have been written trying to explain the story to make Jesus look a bit better, but I'm pretty certain that Jesus does not need us to save him and that we should accept the challenge of taking the scene for what the gospel writer intends. Matthew has a theological agenda. God's plan for salvation is offered first to the Jews and then everybody else after Easter. But the kingdom of God is not so easily confined, even by the writer in his own gospel. This is the only gospel that includes the women in Jesus's family tree, specifically three Canaanite women, Rahab, Tamar, and Ruth. So while Matthew presents this woman as a double outsider, both woman and Gentile, she is actually a distant cousin of sorts of Jesus. Even from the beginning of this gospel with its very specific theological agenda, the radical fullness of God's kingdom escapes the bounds of Matthew's theology. The Canaanite woman has the audacity of faith and insists on her place in God's kingdom. It was a shout of hatred and fear that roared out of Tom Coleman as he cursed at the small group of civil rights activists that included Jonathan Daniels, Ruby Sales, Richard Morris Rowe, and Joyce Bailey on a hot August day in 1965. Then there was the sound of the shotgun fired once, killing Jonathan instantly, and then a second time striking Richard Morris Rowe in the back. Daniels, an Episcopal seminarian, is remembered as a martyr in the Episcopal Church, and each August we hold a pilgrimage in Hainville, Alabama, where people walk to and pray at the places where Daniels and his friends were held in jail, where Daniels was murdered, and then we celebrate Holy Eucharist in the courtroom where the murderer was acquitted. It is the nature of martyrdom that the focus of remembering Jonathan's life is in the moment that it ended. It is through his sacrificial death that we read the paper he wrote for his seminary about his time in Alabama. He writes, I lost fear in the black belt when I began to know in my bones and sinews that I have been, I truly been baptized into the Lord's death and resurrection that in the only sense that really matters, I am already dead and my life is hid with Christ in God. Jonathan came to Alabama in response to Martin Luther King Jr.'s call for clergy to come south following Bloody Sunday. He eventually made arrangements with his school to continue his work remotely so that he could live and work in Selma. 
He lived with a black family. He registered blacks to vote. He tried to integrate the local Episcopal church and he documented the extreme poverty of blacks living in Selma. I think that it is equally important for the church to remember Jonathan's life as well as how he died. Jonathan heard the persistent and faithful shouts of the civil rights leaders in Alabama, and in those shouts, he heard the invitation to come. In that same seminary paper, he writes about the night before he came to Alabama the first time, praying the powerful words of the Magnificat, and after praying those words, he knew that he must go to Selma. He knew he had to answer the plea to come closer. In 2020, it seems like the whole world is shouting. Turn on the news, long scroll through Facebook, and you can watch hours of protesters and counter-protesters yelling, make America great again, black lives matter, no justice, no peace, all lives matter. In some of those shouts, we hear the fear of those with privilege and power of what happens next when they're not in control anymore. We can also hear in those shouts the persistent demand from those that have been left out and excluded to be included in the prosperity and power of our communal life. As Christians, we have an important voice to add. As we have heard all summer, God is faithful even when we are not. God is with us in the midst of betrayal and despair. The kingdom of God, no matter how we might define it or limit it, is always expanding to include the outsiders and the marginalized, whether invited by us or not. God's plan continues to be one of relationship and life. The invitation is always come closer to each other and to God. Maybe now more than ever, we need to look to the life of Jonathan Daniels. He was not afraid of the persistent demands of justice. He heard in those voices the desire and faith to be part of the kingdom of God. Ruby Sales described Jonathan this way, he understood that racism was not something that simply happened to black people. It also happened to white people. His journey south was not only an attempt to understand and connect with the humanity of others, it was also to connect with his own humanity. I think in a sense, Jonathan realized that it was all over but the shouting. God's kingdom, God's offering of justice, mercy, and love is already here, whether we like it or not, whether we welcome it or actively resistant, resist it, God's kingdom is now. And in that kingdom, our reality through Christ, as Jonathan wrote it, is that we are indelibly, unspeakably one. Amen.